And this is the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said this to you. You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how could this be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, peace to you from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to start my sermon by saying Trinity Sunday is my least favorite Sunday to preach. Just want to get that out there. So what you're in for in the next 10 minutes, I apologize for in advance. I truly do not like preaching Trinity Sunday. And I know in the 10th century, when this was established as a major festival of the church, that they probably weren't worried about what some so-so preacher, you know, a thousand years ago was going to say about it. But here I am, and I'm just going to be perfectly honest. I don't care for it. I don't care for it because I'm always stuck every year in that weird liminal space. Do I preach the texts that have been given to me? Texts that, if I'm being honest, are probably chosen because they just have the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in them, but don't actually explain what the Trinity is because the Trinity isn't necessarily even a biblical concept, it's a theological concept? Or do I try to explain that theological concept? And in doing so, sound like a heretic. Because the truth of the matter is, there's no way to explain it. It is a divine mystery, right? And there's nothing worse than being a heretic while preaching, I'm told. So I'm always stuck in this horrendous, horrendous position. And I think, I think the nice sidestep in all of it is just defaulting back to it's a mystery. And mysteries aren't necessarily intended to be solved. They're meant to be experienced. And I love a good mystery. Growing up, if I were to say fake being sick to stay home from school, which maybe I did once or ten times, I would stay home and I would watch a marathon of Columbo with my mom. 
That's what staying home meant. It meant you were parked on the couch and you were going to watch Columbo all morning long. Now, even in my adult years, I have a deep appreciation for Peter Falk, but at the same time, I'm interested in other mysteries. I love unsolved mysteries. I, something about just not knowing the answers and wanting to try to piece together the puzzle that I simply cannot get enough of. But the challenge is, the older I get, the more I realize that life is full of mysteries, and lately I have not enjoyed a lot of them. See, here's what I'm saying. Construction, for example, is full of mysteries. <laughs> What's under the floor? What's under the paint? Why are the lights off all of a sudden? If you've ever done a home renovation, you know what this like is like. It is full of mysteries. We're kind of living through a mysterious time, too, in this pandemic, right? Now, the gifts of science have helped to sort of brush aside some of the mysteries, right? The gift of, of science and a vaccine has allowed us to sort of get back towards where we think we want to be, but I think there's still a lot of mysteries to be solved. Like, when are things going to be normal again? Or what is normal going to actually be like? Or what are the long-standing impacts of this moment we've walked through the last 15 months or so on the church or on our own mental health? We, we don't know. These are mysteries, some of which we may never fully grasp, never fully understand. And this last week, this last week I dwelled quite a bit in the mysteries of life and death. And it is tough to balance one's emotions when walking through that mysterious time. It was Tuesday that we gathered in this very place to celebrate a life well lived and a very longtime member, Glenn Malone. I stood right here and I gave a sermon that essentially threw up my hands and said, for a life as long as he lived, it felt like it was cut short. And it's that mystery, that mystery of how a person can be here one moment and gone the next, and, and we heard family come up and we prayed together, we gathered to just sort of dwell in that mysterious time. And it was challenging, because it wasn't just a, a parishioner, it was a friend, as all my parishioners end up becoming. And then the very next day, less than 24 hours later, I got to be a parishioner at another funeral, the funeral for my uncle Joel, who died at the age of 59 after a very brief fight with cancer. And we sat there and were trying to figure out how this could have happened. How could Uncle Joel be gone? Just last September, he was chasing our kids around what used to be my grandparents' cabin up in the north woods of Wisconsin, getting them to make fart noises at the dinner table, and then taking us out on a boat ride on the lake. And yet here we are, not yet six months removed, and he's gone. It's just mysterious in some ways. In fact, that's the word that they use for the cancer he had. So rare that the doctors refer to it as sort of a mystery. Where it came from and how it did what it did. And the truth of the matter is, I've been struggling with these mysteries this last week. It has been a hard week of emotions trying to figure this out. And I know I'm not alone, and I say that because it was as a community that we gathered 
over and over to dwell in those mysteries, to, to mourn and to celebrate and to just simply be. And I think maybe, maybe community is the key to understanding this whole Trinity thing. See, the Trinity is about the community of God, about the inner relationship that God has with God's own self, but also, also it helps us to understand our relationship with God in our community as well. See, this past week, we lifted up prayers to God, our loving parent, who loves us so much, according to John, that God gave the only Son that all who believe in Him may not perish, but instead may have eternal life. Now, how this eternal life stuff works, or how we get that through the death of a person like Jesus happens, is itself a mystery. But what's not a mystery, what's not a mystery is that God's final word for us is not condemnation, but salvation. That God's final word in the face of death, even the death of God's own son, is life. And this truth, that God's final word is life, is immensely uplifting when we remember the lives of those who've walked before us and when we mourn that loss of a life all too soon, lives that bore the very fruits of the Spirit again and again and again with each and every story we share. And I found comforting strength in that Spirit, which is especially powerful in those moments of loss, in those moments of deep and abiding mystery. And this last week, as I heard that testimony, the testimony to God's presence in these earthly relationships and lives well lived, it all kind of came together. It all came together and it clicked. That in those three persons of Trinity, what happened is God stepped outside of eternity and into history, interrupting our lives but also interrupting the very process of death and dying itself. You see, the Trinity is all about the divine presence. It's about the relationships. It's about the community that reveals to us the fullness of God, the fullness of God's kingdom, which is already here. A kingdom that isn't a place as much as it is the place that we encounter the divine encounter the divine as God's people. Just like the church isn't a place, it is the place where God's people gather as a community to experience the divine in prayer, praise, thanksgiving, in bread, and in wine. And we are a community that gathers in all of life's seasons. Reading from Tuesday came from Ecclesiastes 3. That reading... There's a, there's a season for all things. There's a time for all things under the sun. There's a time to weep and laugh, a time to mourn and dance, a time to embrace and refrain from embracing. Let me say that last one again. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. These last 14 months, we've walked through that time of refraining from embracing, and yet, 
the church, we've embraced each other each and every step of the way. And this last week, this last week, I was embraced with the truth that salvation is Glenn's. Salvation is Uncle Joel's. Salvation is mine. Salvation is yours. Salvation is the world's. And it's not a mystery. Instead, it's a reality. A reality made known in and through the God of Trinity. Thanks be to God. Amen.